0: Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Medibank Private Limited Half Year 23 Results Investor and Analyst Teleconference. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. David Koska. Please go ahead.
1: Good morning everyone, and welcome to the Medibank 2023 half-year financial results presentation. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I join you today from NAM, the home of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples. I pay my respects to their Elders past, present and emerging, and I extend my respect to all Elders on the lands on which we work and live. I'm joined by our executive leadership team, including our group executive CFO and group strategy, Mark Rogers. I'm pleased to share with you the performance of Medibank over the half year. Today we've delivered a a solid result, driven by our commitment to support our customers. It is this focus that continues to drive our business and inform the decisions that we make. It is this focus on our customers that also drove our response to the cybercrime event. We recognise the significant impact the cybercrime had on our customers, and we will continue to support them through our Cyber Response Support Program. While we did see some impacts to policyholder growth in the second quarter, we are seeing positive signs of recovery and steady performance in Medibank Health, despite the external environment. What I'm most proud of over the last six months is our ability to respond to the challenges put in front of us, whether it be COVID inflation, or cost of living pressures, and of course, the cybercrime event, our values and our focus on our customers and our people enables us to respond. And while there is always more work to do, we will emerge stronger from these challenges. Today, I'll take you through the key highlights of the result. I'll also share our short-term focus on regaining momentum in our core resident business and on how our growth strategy remains the same to play our role in sustaining healthcare in Australia by continuing to expand in health. And after this, I'll hand over to Mark, who will discuss our financial performance, as well as share how we are positioned for growth as we manage inflation. And then I will provide an update on our outlook, and then we'll take your questions. So starting on slide five. To begin, I'll touch briefly on our half year 23 focus and highlights. The cyber crime was an unprecedented event, and I will go into some details shortly. But what I'm most proud of is how our people came together and how our focus on our customers never wavered. We put in place a comprehensive cyber response support program for our customers, and it further enhanced our security environment. We've responded to more than 60,000 customer calls and provided almost 13,000 health and wellbeing identity protection and monitoring support interactions for our customers. We've continued to meet our commitment to not profit from COVID, with our customer support now topping a record $1 billion, which is the largest financial give back from any Australian health insurer so far. With inflation and interest rates continuing to rise, we know many Australian household budgets are under pressure which is why we worked hard to deliver our lowest premium increase in 22 years earlier this month. We also deferred the increase for two months, which is in addition to the $207 million cash back our customers will receive in May as part of the Give Back program. Our No-Gap network now extends to 27 hospitals across the country, and we've seen a 300% growth in No-Gap procedures compared to the prior period. Our Member's Choice Advantage Network continues to deliver immediate savings to household budgets. This half, our customers have saved around $12 million in out-of-pocket costs through this network, which forms one of the largest health provider networks in the country, and it remains a key differentiator for our customer offering. We also continue to focus on preventative health, with our Live Better award enrolments up 52% compared to the prior period. Almost 25% of Medibank customers admitted to hospital received personalised health support by our health concierge program, and we delivered around 1.3 million virtual health interactions to our customers and the community. Now to our financial results on slide six. Over the past 12 months, our resident policyholder growth numbers increased by almost 35,000. However, with the loss of almost 13,000 policyholders since the cybercrime event, growth over the six-month period has been more subdued, with policyholders up 1,700. This result is in part due to the majority of marketing and other acquisition activity stopping as a result of the cybercrime. The impact of the cybercrime was mostly contained within our resident health insurance business in the second quarter, with other parts of our business continuing to perform well. A standard over the six-month period has been the significant growth in our non-resident business, which grew by 33,400 policy units, or 17%. With resumption of travel helping accelerate recovery and grow this market, we continue to focus on growing share in this segment. Pleasingly, our health insurance operating profit increased by 8.7%, to $305.2 million. As we continue to reposition Medibank Health in the post-COVID environment, segment profit dropped 4.3% to $24.6 million, largely due to slower-than-expected volume recovery in the home care business and the end of our 1-800-RESPECT and Beyond Blue contracts. On a continuing basis, the segment growth rate was 7.4%. We've reported a $55.9 million net investment income, up $25 million, which reflects the benefits of high interest rates and narrowing credit spreads. This was offset by $26.2 million in non-recurring cybercrime costs, which, at the full year, we expect to be $40 to $45 million. Group impact was up 5.9% to $233.3 million. And lastly, the board has determined we will pay an interim, fully franked, ordinary dividend of 6.3 cents per share. Now to slide 7. Today we are able to share with you the outcomes of our ongoing investigations into how the cybercrime event occurred. This includes that Medibank, the Medibank username and password used by a third-party IT service provider was stolen and used across our network. The criminal was able to access our network through a misconfigured firewall, and the criminal obtained further usernames and passwords to gain access to a number of our systems, and their access was not contained. As you would expect, our immediate focus was to support our customers and to secure our environment, to close down the attack path, and that is what we've done. Since the time of this event, we have been focused on how we can best support our customers. As you know, we launched our cyber response support program for our customers which includes mental health and wellbeing support, identity protection and financial hardship measures. We extended call centre hours and we increased our customer support team by more than 300 people and redeployed our resources on our phone and messaging channels to support our customers. And in November, we added two-factor authentication for inbound calls to our contact centres to increase the level of security for our customers when they call for support. From a technology perspective, we have bolstered existing monitoring, added further detection and forensics capability across the Medibank system and network, and have scaled up analytical support by specialist third parties. Additionally, we have ensured firewall authentication is fully configured across our whole network. And in December, we completed Operation Safeguard, which saw us take our systems offline to further strengthen and enhance security protections and implement a program of further tactical activities, including those recommended by our specialist third parties. The external review by Deloitte is ongoing. There is no doubt in my mind that we are in an arms race on cybercrime and the rules are changing every day. That's the new world we are operating in. We now defend more than 18 million perimeter attacks a day. Given this ever-changing cyber landscape, our focus going forward will be on continuing to support our customers and ensuring they have confidence in the protection of their data. We will continue to strengthen our security environment and enhance the security literacy of all our users and reinforce that security is everyone's business. And we will continue to evolve our approach to data management, particularly in light of impending reforms to the Privacy Act and changing community expectations. Turning to slide eight. The cybercrime was a significant event, and as you'd expect, it impacted our policyholder growth in the second quarter of the year. With the resumption of more normal business operations at the start of January, there are promising early signs of regaining momentum in the second half of FY23. Last month, net resident policy holder lost slow to around 1,100, while this month, up to 18 February, we have seen net growth of 200. Acquisition is improving for both brands, but cybercrime is no longer the top reason for people choosing to leave us. And in January, switching intent had returned to pre-cyber levels. Notwithstanding the impact of the cybercrime event, customers continued to choose our health and wellbeing solutions and take out additional life, pet or travel insurance policies with us, a good sign of their underlying trust in us. Advocacy levels have recently rebounded, although we have still some work to do to return to the high levels we achieved in FY22. These early signs give us confidence of regaining our growth momentum in the core resident business, which will be further supported as we reinstate our marketing and retention activities this month. We're also continuing to focus on looking after our people who have shown incredible fortitude over the last six months. They tell us they felt well supported and informed and remain strongly committed to our customers and to our vision. On to slide nine. Australians continue to put their health and wellbeing first. The industry has now experienced nine consecutive quarters of growth to September 2022. A record 14.37 million Australians now have private health cover. Retention rates remained relatively stable and above pre-COVID levels, with growing numbers of younger adults and those taking out cover for the first time joining the industry. Importantly, this is taking pressure off public hospitals still recovering from the impacts of COVID. Supported by low unemployment, increasing waiting lists in the public health system and reforms targeting younger people, we anticipate the resident market will continue to grow, albeit at a slightly slower rate. Despite the economic conditions and increasing interest rates, the impact is yet to be felt in the private health insurance industry. But it is is important, as an industry, that we continue a longer-term focus on affordability, which is why we continue to work with the Australian Government on key reforms, including prosthesis reform. And while we've seen some early signs of savings being realised, there remains a lot more work to be done on reforms that improve affordability and reduce waste in the system. In the non-resident market, there are strong signs of recovery. International student arrivals are rebounding strongly and we expect further acceleration given China's recent announcement that students must study abroad to achieve their accreditation, suggesting this market will return to pre-COVID levels within 12 months. With working visas back to pre-COVID levels supported by government policies to address skills shortages and with visitor numbers also increasing, we forecast a return to pre-pandemic levels within 12 to 24 months for these segments. On to slide 10. When you look around the world, there are four clear mega trends in health and we continue to shape our strategy to respond to them. The consumerization of health is shifting the focus to personalized and connected experiences with technology playing a critical role. We're building deeper relationships with our almost 4 million customers that go beyond the traditional health insurance improving choice and health literacy and connecting people with communities as we work to empower our customers to manage their health and wellbeing. The growing prevalence of people with chronic health conditions and the potentially avoidable impact that this has on health systems requires a shift to prevention. As preventative health spending is expected to more than double by 2030 in Australia, we are supporting GP-led proactive care through our investment in My Health and working to make Live better an integral part of our customers' lives, with relevant prevention programs accessible to all. The ability to provide quality care that gives patients and providers greater choice and value is leading to the rise of new care settings. While Australia still lags behind many other countries, we are making good progress on our virtual care, short-stay and home care offerings, increasing the accessibility of these new care options. And finally, the move to outcome-based care stems from the need for care to be more coordinated and funding better aligned to health outcomes, as highlighted by the Strengthening Medicare Taskforce report. We're building on our partner and provider networks to develop more integrated care options and develop connected experiences across triage, primary acute care that, that have a greater focus on patient outcomes, experiences and value. We have strong foundations in response to these mega trends and our aspirations for each are aligned to our vision to create the best health and wellbeing for Australia. Now on to slide 11. We know that our strategy has been the driving force behind our performance over many years, and that is the right one for our customers and our business. But given the recent cybercrime event and the changes in the external environment, we've reprioritised some activities in the short term to regain, regain growth momentum in our core resident business and to accelerate our repositioning of Medibank Health. Ultimately, our strategy to grow as a health company and the pillars that contribute to this have not changed. I'll now talk in more detail about the contribution of each pillar to our strategy, looking back over the past six months and ahead for the remainder of FY23. Now to slide 12. We continue to reflect deeply upon the cybercrime's impact on our customers and apply the lessons we have learned. Our determination to deliver for our customers has only been strengthened by the events of last year. Our investments to improve our customer experience enabled us to quickly adapt our processes and divert resources to support our customers through the cybercrime. As mentioned earlier, we will also continue to evolve our approach to data management for all our customers, implementing lessons from the cyber crime event. Engagement with our digital channels continued to grow. As we further simplified processes, online claims increased 29% and self-service interactions were up 24%, while more than 40% of AHM's new customers joined online. Our ongoing integration of LiveBetter into the My Medibank app Saw almost two thirds of New Live Meta members joining via the app, which we continue to enhance with the development of Home for Health, connecting our healthcare offerings seamlessly for our customers. As you would expect, customer advocacy, as measured by Service NPS, was impacted by the cybercrime event. However, our scores remain above the benchmarks we set at the full year. For the full year, this milestone remains the same. Our people remain strongly committed to our vision and to our customers, and we remain above benchmark with high levels of employee advocacy. And when, when it comes to our community, we are making good progress on our sustainability commitments, including our ongoing transition to 100% renewable energy, community programs including park run and addressing loneliness, and our procurement spend with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander businesses. Turning to slide 13. Our unique dual brand strategy aims to provide customers with products and services that deliver more choice, more health and wellbeing support and especially more value as financial pressures continue to mount for many households. Most of our new joins were younger customers and those new to the industry, continuing the trend of the last few years. This half, we have won or renewed 130 corporate accounts. We delivered health and wellbeing programs to more than 143 corporates and grew our online GP service for international students by almost 200%. We've also seen significant growth in the proportion of customers taking out additional life, travel and pet, and car and home insurance, up 63%, and saw stronger retention amongst those who had multiple policies or who were engaged with Live Better highlighting the value of our strategy to deepen our relationship with our customers through diversified products and services. LivBetter remains a strong differentiator for the Medibank brand, attracting new customers and engaging them in their health and wellbeing journey. It's also delivering more value for our customers. In the last half, we expanded the range and doubled the number of providers where members can earn LiveBetter award points. To date, customers have redeemed around $16 million in rewards. The strength and breadth of our provider and partner networks continues to be a key enabler of our differentiation strategy. We successfully negotiated 44 hospital funding agreements this half, collaborating with a number of hospital partners on initiatives that create mutual value for our customers and hospitals. This represents 26% of our current hospital agreements. While we haven't got the December data in yet, we expect to have lost market share over the last quarter as a result of the cybercrime. And given the cybercrime has impacted policyholder growth, we are updating our milestone. By the end of the year, we expect to be in a strong position with the momentum we saw in the first quarter. We will then look to achieve a three-year market share growth of between 25 and 75 basis points, consistent with our existing milestone. When it comes to our health insurance productivity milestone, we are now aiming to deliver $30 million in savings uh, between FY23 to FY25, including $10 million in this financial year. Now to slide 14. Australia has a great healthcare system, but it needs to keep evolving. Driving innovation in health to give customers greater access, choice and control over their health, is where we can and are playing a meaningful role. Our expansion in health also provides us with the ability to bring benefits back to our customers and deliver them more value. Almost one-third of Medibank patients undergoing joint replacements are now choosing to have rehab at home, while our no-gap network has doubled in size. We are also supporting more customers to manage their health and wellbeing, increasing enrolments in our preventative programs by 6%, and growing both the membership of and engagement with Live Better, which is on track to achieve 670,000 members by July. We are also on track to achieve our health and wellbeing milestones, which remain unchanged. Through Ampli Health, we're also working to reduce pressures on hospitals and strengthen both the public and private health systems. Our investment in My Health supports the crucial role GP-led care plays particularly in preventative health. With 107 primary care clinics, MyHealth is well-positioned to play a larger role in coordinated proactive prevention in line with the recommendations of the Medicare Task Force. Further enhancing this is the growth of Medinet's virtual practice platform for GPs, which is supporting our ambition to scale our virtual health offering while meeting the needs of our customers and the broader community. Recent investments are also supporting our expansion into health and to progress our development of the new care settings which are critical in providing our customers with greater access, choice and control of their health. This month, a new orthopaedic theatre was completed at East Sydney Private Hospital to deliver short-stay surgery and support the public system with 20% of surgeries now helping reduce public waiting lists. And we expect the world-class orthopaedic surgical centre at Macquarie University Hospital in Sydney and Adney Private Hospital in Melbourne to open mid-next year. The challenges in the public system are real, with ambulance ramping at emergency departments, increasing elective surgery waiting lists and a a stretched primary care system. In support, our joint venture with Calvary in South Australia, the South Australia Health My Home Hospital Service, had a significant increase in referrals this half. More than 2,600 patients were admitted and we saw a 76% increase in virtual bed capacity compared to uh, the first half in FY22. This service is one of the first in Australia receiving referrals from ambulances. Also our work to enable North Coast Health Connect in northern New South Wales is boosting health equity and access to primary care through 24 by 7 triage and direct connection to local health services in the region. Since coming online in December, the service has responded to more than 600 calls and web chats. These types of innovation are what is desperately needed in our health system, both private and public. And this is the role Medibank is uniquely suited to play, providing access to care for people who need it at the time that they need it, without putting further pressure on a system that is strained. Over the next three years, we aim to invest between 150 million and 250 million in our target health markets, including additional short-stay hospitals. And while some of these investments will take time to deliver meaningful financial returns, they are helping increase the value of our services, supporting the health of people throughout Australia, our customers included. I'll now hand over to Mark. Well, thanks, David. Good morning.
2: The key themes of the result are continued momentum in the health insurance business, solid performance in Medibank Health despite the external environment and recent contract transitions and a strong capital position. Health insurance performance reflects continued policyholder growth and positive jaws in the resident business and very strong policyholder growth and margin recovery in non-residents. Group operating profit was up 7.4% to 307.8 million And whilst investment income increased by 25 million, this was offset by non recurring costs associated with the cybercrime. For the full year, we expect these costs to be between 40 and 45 million, including non recurring additional investment in IT security. And reported EPS was up 5.9% to 8.5 cents per share, and underlying EPS, which adjusts for the normalisation of investment returns, was up 6.7%. 8.2 cents per share. Now moving to slide 17. The granular view of total claims for the six months to November shows that despite very limited COVID restrictions this period, payments were below the prior period reflecting changing customer preferences, workforce shortages and hospital operational impacts. We continue to see the same trends as observed in previous periods with non-surgical claims being more impacted than surgical, particular softness in rehab and respiratory claims, and no evidence of increasing mental health claims. An emerging trend this period was Prasisi's claims growth being 7% below the growth in private hospital surgical claims, due to the positive impact of the 1 July price reforms. This period, resident claims were more than 267 million were nine percent below our expectation of underlying claims growth per policy unit of two point three percent. And given this and the absence of government restrictions on hospital admissions, we have not added to the deferred claims provisions period. At thirty one December, the provision sits at four hundred and eleven point six million, which is down thirty seven million from thirty June due to customer lapse and the expiration of MediBank extras limits. Slide 18 covers the health insurance result, which shows reported revenue and gross profit grew 2% and 9.3% respectively. During a period, the risk equalisation payment increased in line with growth in the number of AHM customers, which is skewed to younger and lower claiming policies. And our claims growth continuing to be lower than industry. claim savings were returned to customers through 267 of give back initiatives, resulting in COVID having a modest 500000 negative impact on operating profit. Pleasingly, underlying gross profit increased 8.8% to $579.6 million, with underlying revenue growth of 5.6% and a 50 basis point improvement in underlying gross margin to 15.3%. And whilst the management expense ratio was 30 basis points higher, Underlying operating margin was up 20 basis points to 8.1% and underlying operating profit up 7.7% to 305.7 million. Turning to slide 19. The resident health insurance market remains buoyant with estimated growth in the last 12 months of 2.5%. And although this is slightly lower than FY22, it has been impacted by Medibank's growth in the last three months. Importantly, the trend of growth in new to industry and younger age customers has continued, which, given they are typically lower claiming, positively impacts the quality of the insurance pool. In the same period, our policyholder numbers increased by almost 35,000, or 1.8%. However, with the loss of 13,000 policies since the end of September, growth in the last six months of 0.1% was well below the 1.5% achieved in the prior period. In the last six months, customer lapse and acquisition deteriorated by 80 and 60 basis points, respectively. Following the cybercrime, customer retention was impacted by the diversion of resources to support higher core volumes, and the majority of above-the-line marketing and other proactive sales activity also paused. Pleasingly, the Medibank acquisition rate was only down 30 basis points, which is indicative of the positioning and resilience of the brand, and although the AHM acquisition rate was down 160 basis points, this was largely due to lower aggregate sales. As David mentioned, with the resumption of more normal business operations, since 31 December, we've seen policyholder trajectory improve, with acquisition rates recovering and retention rates stabilising. In the second half, as we return to growth, we will focus on the growing corporate market, allocating additional resources to improve retention and increasing AHM aggregator sales. Turning to slide 20. Underlying resident claims, which exclude COVID impacts, were up 4.8%, and underlying net claims, which includes risk equalisation, were up 5%. Risk equalisation had a 20 basis point impact on claims growth this period, which is an increase on the prior period and consistent with the return to more normal age-claiming patterns underlying resident claims growth per policy unit was up 40 basis points to 2.3%, with stable hospital claims growth and an increase in extras. Hospital claims growth reflects that the higher risk equalisation charge was offset by Priseci savings, with the increase in extras due to investment in additional benefits and sales mix. And healthcare cost inflation had minimal impact on claims growth this period, with the majority of private hospitals already contracted for FY23. Assuming the precisi savings we saw this period are maintained and based on rehab referral trends at pre-COVID levels, we expect underlying resident claims growth for the full year of 2.3%. However, given the economic environment, we are closely monitoring spend and more discretionary extras modalities for signs of further softness. July 21 details underlying health insurance performance which shows strong growth in both the resident and non-resident businesses. In the resident business, underlying gross margin was up 10 basis points to 14.8% with revenue and claims growth per policy unit of 2.4 and 2.3% respectively. The decrease in revenue growth per policy reflects the lower premium increase this period and a 10 basis point increase in downgrading to 70 basis points despite the economic conditions, we expect downgrading of 70 basis points for the full year, aided by our focus on increasing product value, portfolio management and sales mix activities. And based on the approved premium increase of 2.96% and the expectations for underlying claims growth, this should result in modestly positive draws for the full year. Pleasingly, the momentum in the non-resident business has continued with a 34.4% increase in policy units and underlying gross profit up 107% to $31 million. The favourable student tenure and mixed impacts we saw in 2H22 have continued. An underlying gross margin of 34.1% compares to 21.5% and 29.2% in 1H and 2H22, respectively. While customer growth has continued in January, and with further growth in the worker and visitor market segments likely, gross profit in the second half is expected to be higher than in the first half. In the medium term, further growth opportunities exist through utilising our unique integrated health offering, improving product value, including in virtual health, and investing further in this attractive market segment. Now moving to slide 22. Management expenses were up 10% to 273.9 million, with the major driver the increase in non-resident sales commissions, which grew with policyholder policy acquisition. Whilst commissions of 11.4 million were in line with 2H22, based on the current policyholder trajectory, we expect they will increase further in the second half. The modest growth in DNA reflects higher spend on digital assets. And whilst deferred acquisition cost amortisation also increased, this remains above the level of new acquisition costs. And in line with the new insurance accounting standard, we will commence expensing all acquisition costs from 1 July. Operating expenses were up 7% with cost inflation of 4% and modest volume impacts, partially offset by approximately $4 of productivity savings. This period, we also had a higher proportion of annual investment and some other spend than normal, but this is expected to unwind in the second half. Whilst achieving productivity savings this period has been impacted by the cybercrime, we are targeting 30 million of savings over the next three years, including 10 million this year. And despite the underlying management expense ratio increasing 30 basis points to 7.2%, we expect management expenses of 560 million from the full year and that the management expense ratio will not be above last year's. Going forward, we will continue to leverage our productivity program and the benefits of scale to target further modest improvement in the management expense ratio, whilst balancing the need to invest for growth. Turning to slide 23 in Medibank Health. Whilst the majority of COVID impacts on Medibank Health have unwound, this period performance in the home care business was impacted by subdued private hospital admissions and higher labour costs. And in telehealth, the transition out of the 1800 Respect and Beyond Bleak contracts 2 H22. Excluding these contracts, segment operating profit was up 7.4% to 24.6 million, with the 14.6% increase in operating profit, partially offset by a lower contribution from our healthcare JVs, where the prior period included non recurring COVID income. Revenue increased 5.9% to 139.5 million, with strong growth in health and wellbeing and recovery and in travel insurance sales, partially offset by a reduction in telehealth and home care. Gross margin was down 40 basis points to 44.7%, with higher home care labor costs and inflationary impacts, partially offset by business mix. However, flat management expenses and a 170 basis point improvement in the management expense ratio, when operating margin increased 130 basis points to 16.9%. And this reinforces the importance of increasing scale in this business. The areas of focus for the second half include volume and performance of in home care, continuing to reposition the business to meet the emerging needs of bank customers, and delivering synergies between our businesses. And whilst profit growth this period was impacted by these lost telehealth earnings, Business has good momentum and growth potential for meeting the needs of many bank customers, and we continue to target, on average, organic growth of at least fifteen percent per annum over the next three years. Moving to slide twenty four. Investment income was up twenty five million or eighty point nine percent to fifty five point nine million, for the benefit of higher interest rates and tighter credit spreads this period. The 8.6 million reduction in income in the growth portfolio was due to manager underperformance in property investments and mixed performance in equities, with strong returns in the domestic market more than offset by weaker returns in the international. In the defensive portfolio, the 20.9 million increase in income includes 22.5 million from the higher RBA cash rate and 3.9 million from tighter credit spreads is partially offset by the steepening yield curve, resulting in 8.6 million lower than expected income on international fixed interest holdings. During the period, the average RBA cash rate was 235 basis points. And based on the current spot rate of 335 basis points, in the second half we expect an additional 10 million of interest income in the defensive portfolio. Underlying investment income was up 26.6 million and the underlying investment return up 52 basis points to 1.45%. The 27 basis point spread above the RBA cash rate is on an annualised basis below our target of 150 to 200 basis points. However, based on the current shape of the yield curve, we expect this spread to improve in the second half. Supply 25 covers capital. Our capital position remains strong with the health insurance capital ratio of 13% at the top end of our target range and an allocated capital of 198.1 million modestly above the prior period. During the period health insurance required capital increased in line with revenue growth and the increase in other required capital largely reflects the hospital joint ventures that David mentioned and the investment in Medinet in 2H22. A strong capital generation and level of unallocated capital means we're well-placed to fund inorganic growth and consider capital management if opportunities don't eventuate. And following industry consultation, the final APRA capital standards have been issued and included a number of favourable outcomes relative to our standards. From 1 July, we expect our target health insurance capital ratio will reduce to 10 to 12% of forecast premium revenue on the current 11 to 13%. At the top end of this range, health insurance capital at 31 December would have been two times the minimum regulatory requirement for PCA, noting that our PCA as a proportion of premium revenue is significantly lower than the industry average due to our scale and operating margin. And the board has declared a fully frank interim dividend of 6.3 cents per share, which is an increase of 3.3% and a 76.5% payout of underlying net profit after tax. And to finish, a few comments on our areas of focus for delivering growth and managing inflation in the second half. In the health insurance business, maintaining revenue momentum is key. And our immediate imperatives are re-establishing resident policy growth, continuing to manage downgrading, and maintaining the strong growth trajectory in non-resident the markets bank, Health operated in remain attractive, and we continue to focus on growing participation in our, in our leading health propositions, increasing scale to create operational efficiencies, and delivering synergies between our businesses. Over the next three years, we also aim to invest between 150 and 250 million through further M&A, where this adds scale, geographic coverage, or new capability. Continue to target ways to offset inflationary pressure in claims, and with initial promising signs, it is critical that procedures reform continues to deliver benefits, including through changes to the way that general and miscellaneous items are funded. Potential offsets to inflation include the increasing likelihood that the current low rehab referral levels will, at least in part, be permanent, the trend of more procedures occurring on a same day rather than an overnight basis. And the benefit of continuing to grow participation amongst younger customers. And, providing, and by providing more services to Medibank customers, Ampli will also play an important role through an increasing focus on prevention, supporting the shift to new care settings, and delivering integrated models of care at scale. And maintaining a cost discipline productivity program and closely managing non cash costs will be critical to expense management. And increasingly, we believe our economies of scale will provide a competitive advantage to most peers. I will now pass back to Dave to make some closing remarks.
1: Thanks, Mark. Uh, let's look at slide 28. Uh, whilst our strategy is the right one, as I said before, on the short term, our immediate priorities post the cybercrime event are to continue to support our customers and our people. We focused on re-establishing our momentum in the resident policyholder growth continuing to reposition AmpliHealth to support our core customers and pursuing our growth agenda in health. We are a resilient business with great people. Our customers and their needs will always be at the heart of our business. The lessons we have learnt from the cyber crime will continue to shape our response and we will emerge a stronger business. We are well-positioned to grow on multiple fronts. Based on the early signs of momentum, we are confident that we can regain growth momentum in our resident policyholder numbers and will continue to focus on gaining share in the growing non-resident market. We will continue to scale and connect our existing health and wellbeing businesses with strong foundations in our target high-growth markets. We will continue to prioritise growth in Medibank Health by directly supporting Medibank customers, as well as looking for opportunities to take pressure off the public system through our scalable health offerings. We remain uniquely positioned in the market and are very well capitalised to fund growth, so we can continue to use our strong balance sheet to invest in further opportunities with partners to support our growth ambitions. We have an incredible team of people at Medibank, and I want to thank them for the support they have shown to our customers and each other. I now speak to slide 29. Returning to our outlook for FY23, we continue to assess claims activity and remain committed to not profit from the pandemic, returning any permanent net claim savings due to COVID to our customers through additional support in the future. Following the withdrawal of our policyholder growth outlook in October, Our new outlook for resident policyholder growth in FY23 is to grow by 0.5% to 0.75%, which assumes the continuation of trends we have seen in January and February and a modest decline in industry growth rate in FY23 relative to the full financial year 22. We'll provide a further update on our performance and outlook at the Macquarie Conference in May. We expect underlying claims per policy unit of 2.3% for FY23 among resident policyholders. We remain focused on controlling our costs, and as Mark mentioned, our productivity program was impacted by the cybercrime during the half. We are now targeting $30 million of savings over FY23 to 25, including $10 million in FY23. Non-recurring cybercrime costs are expected to be uh, $40 to $45 million in FY23, which includes a one-off investment in IT security and excludes potential uh, further customer and other remediation, regulatory or litigation-related costs. And finally, targeted organic and inorganic growth for Medibank Health and Health Insurance continue to be areas of focus, supported by a strong capital position. I'll now hand over the call for any questions.
0: Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star two. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Matt Dunger from Bank of America. Please go ahead.
3: Yes, yeah, thank you very much, gentlemen. appreciate the additional um, detail around policyholder growth and, and the FY26 aspiration. Um, given you've reinstated marketing activity, you're talking about options on aggregator for AHM and, and the corporate market. Why is the target three years away and, and when can you get back to system growth? Uh, thanks, Matt. Look, I think
1: uh, first is first. Uh, we're re- resuming normal business operations since January. Uh, you know, we're very pleased with the early signs of recovery. Some things we look at particularly, um, our switching intents now back to pre-Cyber levels, our Net Promoter Score, Customer Advocacy, Advocacy, Sc- Advocacy Scores are uh, you know, getting pretty close back to pre-Cyber levels and our sales conversion uh, is also you know, back to where it was. So I think as we ramp up our uh, marketing activities, Um, and further strengthen our attention activities, yeah, we think um, that that will lead to our growth for the full year this year now being 0.5 to 75. And when you look at that, as a Q4 growth rate, we're then pretty similar to where we were in Q1, and that that then gives us, um, you know, confidence that then we move for the next three years, we're back to where we were um, before the cyber event.
3: great thank you david if if i could just ask a follow-up on uh on claims inflation um private hospitals seeing some higher surgery volumes i appreciate you've given us some some additional detail on some of the offset but uh how long is the 2.3 underlying inflation able to be maintained do you think you can maintain that medium term
2: so matt that's going to be a balance between a whole series of factors but bearing in mind our payments to private hospitals are less than 50% of our total claims payments. And whilst we're seeing some inflationary impact uh, through hospital indexation, equally, probably the biggest opportunity for our claims line is on rehab. So we're currently seeing somewhere in the vicinity of 20% lower rehab referral rates than what we saw pre-COVID. And that's, we're assuming they revert within a 2.3%. If they don't, that's potentially 50 to $60 million of claims saving going forward. And then when you look at the other uh, claims, uh, component of our claims, the majority, uh, you've got prosthesis which is deflationary, you've got the med- medical benefits which are capped at a, a pretty low level given the government's a co-payer, and then there's a potential that we get a deflationary impact in ancillary given some of those discretionary modalities will be impacted by inflation. Uh, So if I I sit here today, Matt, and say what's the bias? Is it up or down from the 2.3? At least in the short term, I'd say the bias is more to the downside than the upside. And the reason I say that is our current flames are 9% below that 2.3% underlying expectation.
4: Very helpful, thank you, Mark.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Vanessa Thompson from Jefferies, please go ahead.
5: Good morning, David and Mark, and thanks for taking my questions. I just wanted to um, follow, um, circle back on that rehab referral trend. I think at the last result, you said the rehab spend was um, 15% around and below the surgical claims growth. Is that um, still true?
2: It's 20% below the surgical claims growth. The surgical claims were down 2% and rehab was down 22%. in fact, the trend is actually there's a bigger gap opening up between surgical and rehab claims growth. We're also now seeing about a third of our customers that have a total joint replacement having treatment in the home and not in a hospital. And both of those factors are giving me increasing level of confidence that at least some of the uh, rehab savings we're seeing will be permanent.
5: Right. Thank you. Um, And I then also wanted to ask about the thesis reform again, um, I think in initially the, the expected benefit in FY23 was $90 million um, for the industry. Is is that kind of what you're seeing? Is, that, is the benefit you're seeing aligned with that target? Thank you. So
2: Vanessa, we're definitely seeing the price savings come through. It'll take a little bit more time for the emergence patterns of lower to ensure uh, there's no utilisation offset, uh, but... There are some really good promising signs uh, that the reform will actually deliver real benefits this time. And then when we look forward into the next round of cuts, we'll have another small set of cuts on one March, which is uh, related to a few items on the general and miscellaneous list, but there'll be a wholesale second stage of price cuts coming through on one July. And in aggregate, we're expecting a modestly higher benefit level next year compared to this year in terms of total price cut benefit.
5: Thank you. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Kieran Didgey from Jarden. Please go ahead. Morning guys.
3: Um I might just start, I've got a few questions. I might just start on sort of the health insurance claims trends. So just wondering if you can unpack um sort of the difference between the two point three percent underlying you're talking about and then some of the trends on slide. Um slide 17 I think where you're showing first half 23 has actually seen more of a benefit relative to PCP with total hospital claims down 7% pre-COVID relative to 4% last period what's what sort of the the difference between those two sort of outlooks uh, sorry Kieran do you want to direct me to the
2: first you're looking at slide 16 which is the
6: 17 sorry Mark
3: 17. So you know where you're showing hospital claims per policy unit, first half 23 tracking 7% below pre-COVID. First half 22 was 4% below. So I was just wondering, sort of, yeah. you know, given you showing there that you know, things have improved on PCP, how we how we sort of tie that in with the 2.3% underlying inflation number you talked to? Yes, yeah,
2: so. Don't forget Karen we had some impacts in the second half of last year which uh, we had higher growth uh, in the second half of last year so I think you're seeing the second half impacts flowing through into this period. What I'd say at a high level though across most of the trends and particularly uh, surgical we are seeing softness now relative to what we were seeing in the second half of last year. So. I'd say you need to look across not just the PCP but also versus the sequential halves as well.
3: All right. And and the two point three mark, I think last result you were saying, um, similar to some of the previous questions this morning, that you were allowing for um, you know, rehab to kind of get back to, to where it was, um, it's still tracking obviously twenty percent below. And you also had been pretty conservative on processus benefits coming through. Both those areas seem to be tracking better than expected. So just wondering why you haven't revised down that 2.3% outlook. Are there other areas that have been slightly higher, including ancillary?
2: Yes, a good question, um, Kieran. So let me start with Procesi. So we are building in some benefit within the 2.3% but not all of the benefit will wait to see the emergence pattern to ensure that utilization doesn't offset. So I think it's prudent we take a conservative approach given that history on precisely savings over the last couple of periods. Uh, And when I look at rehab, Kieran, we are assuming there's 25 to $30 million of savings in rehab relative to our 2.3% assumption. So we're assuming rehab reverts in the current period, there were real savings on rehab of 20, between 25 and $30 million that we gave back to customers through permanent claim savings. Uh, you're right, it's conservative, but we see those as being natural offsets to any inflationary pressure coming through hospital indexation. And on rehab, we really needed to see 12 months of performance and behaviour in hospitals without any restrictions. And if you recall... Most of the uh, most recent restrictions unwound in February and March of last year. So I think we're now getting, with the affliction of time, more confidence that rehab won't uh, revert and we'll, we'll reassess that assumption uh, in terms of reversion or staying at current low levels uh, at the full year result.
3: All right, thanks. And just a second question more around sort of industry policy trends and outlook. I mean, you've given a fairly stable downgrading outlook of 70 basis points despite the tougher economic climate ahead. Just wondering, at an industry level, what you're expecting in terms of penetration rates, particularly interested in sort of views around, say, the 30 to 50-year age cohorts, just given they're obviously going to be more impacted by higher mortgage rates coming through. I'll, well, I'll
1: start. Uh, it's on the industry level in Mark. Um, You can jump in. I think what we're definitely seeing is still a continuation of the uh, post-pandemic factors in industry, certainly uh, increased interest in health and wellbeing. Um, Customers are seeing more value in PHI. I think more than two-thirds, it's a growing number, uh, are seeing private health insurance essential. um, And, you know, the knowledge of the challenges in the public system, particularly with uh, waiting lists are very well known. I think also the the focus of the industry and and also us on keeping premium increases as low as they can be, you know, with sustained lower premium increases, that's also helping with affordability. I think you've got to look at the customer base of PHI, you know, they're twice as likely to be a higher income earner uh, than uh, non-holders, you know, I think whilst there will be some impacts in some parts of the community... Uh, I think, you know, the, there's a resilience in the PHI customer base uh, there. And, you know, we, we continue to see uh, strong, you know, uh, retention rates above the pre-pandemic levels. Um, I think the other point on the younger customers, uh, we did, as you saw uh, last quarter, we and others put in the dependent reforms to allow uh, customers up to 31 to be on their parents' cover. We have seen... It's early days we've seen that. You know, come through. Uh, and so I think that's a key focus continuing for reforms. How do we keep premium increases as low as we can? How do we retain attraction to younger customers? But yeah, we've seen our acquisition in the last half of customers under 40 yeah, still being above or well, around 70%, um, uh, which is a continued trend for us. And maybe,
2: Kieran, on your downgrading
1: point. Uh
2: there was a slight improvement in the level of downgrading this half, uh, 70 basis points versus uh, 60 basis points uh, in the prior corresponding period. But we did invest fairly significantly in the uh, loyalty proposition. And also, it's fair to say, during the second quarter, when uh, we were trying to retain customers to p- the cyber event, we had to use offers and other incentives more than we normally would. So we had two one-off factors that we don't expect to occur in this period. So when we look forward into the second half, We think we've got some capacity within that 70 basis points to absorb uh, any further economic pressure. And you're right, back to your last question, in the first half of 22, we saw a more significant sales mix towards extras, whereas this period we've got a much higher uh, sales mix towards hospital. And provided either the sales mix to hospital or extras doesn't change or the Medibank and AHM policyholder growth doesn't become too askew, we're not seeing a lot of pressure, a lot of further downside or upside to that 70 basis points for the full year. That's
3: great. Thanks, guys. I'll leave it there. Thank okay. you.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Buncombe from Macquarie. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, uh, the first one is just in relation to the DCL. Uh, you obviously haven't put any new claims into that bucket this period. Uh, for company-specific reasons, um, but going forward, do you expect to put any more in, or have you officially closed um, closed the window on that? Thanks.
2: You never officially closed the window, Andrew. But I would qualify. I would clarify. It's not company-specific reasons. The, the driver of having a DCL is that there is a federal government or state health authority restrictions on uh, private hospital admissions, which we had none of. So our reading, at least of the accounting standard, is there was no constructive obligation and therefore we weren't able to accrue further DCL. Having said that, if there are further restrictions going forward, then obviously the same methodology we've used in the past would uh, be possible again.
6: Yeah, thanks for that clarification. That helps. Thank you. And then just my second question is in relation to slide 14. Uh, where you have again flagged the 150 to $250 million of investment in Medibank Health over three years. Can you just give us an update given um, what's happened with the cyber event? Should we be expecting that to be more back-ended now or evenly over the period? Just some comments on the shape would be great. Thanks. Uh, thanks.
1: Uh, and I'll just kick off and maybe Andrew Wilson if you want to make any comments on what, what we're seeing in the market. But, Look, the, the cyber event was significant for our business, but it hasn't impacted, um, you know, really our opportunities uh, to expand in health. Uh, our partnership programs um, continue to drive very positive impact to our customers and where we've maintained a lot of discussions in market about potential targets uh, and opportunities for growth. We will remain very disciplined in how and where we grow, as you would expect, Uh, But based on our pipeline uh, and our focus areas, we we remain very confident about that objective.
6: Yeah, thanks, David. Look, I would echo that. I mean, we've got a strong pipeline in the areas that we've been very clear about. We're looking at particularly in ambulatory care short stay. uh, And that that really hasn't uh, changed at all as a result of the cyber impact uh, we think there's, there are tremendous opportunities for us in, in as well, as well as organically, and we'll continue to look at areas, uh, companies where they're going to add business to, uh, to add value to our business in the in the segments that we're in. Great, right, that's it from me. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Siddharth Paramasuram from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
7: Uh, good morning gentlemen. A couple of questions if I can. Firstly just um if I could just bring you back to slide seventeen, I think it was, where uh, you're showing a significant reduction in the cash in the cash payments um, for for several uh for, for several different different um, uh segments there. Um, I I was just wondering if you could help us quantify if the rehab and respiratory claims were to persisted these lower levels. I think, you, I think you mentioned on the rehab side it was about 50 to $60 million permanent savings that would, that would continue. I was just wondering if you could also help quantify what respiratory might be.
2: Yes, yeah, so respiratory is about 6% of our total claims and rehabs around 23%, Sid. And I don't right, think okay. You said sure. would, I don't think we said they would. We said there's an increasing likelihood they may
7: yeah yeah sure, yeah so I understand okay, well, I mean maybe on that point, just um well, maybe two related questions around that, just could you help us understand the logic of the rehab being down? I mean you know and that you know when will you get comfort uh, around this you know is there something that's fundamentally changing in in the hospital system that's leading to that rehab being down, and when will you get comfort around that point
2: so kind of go back to when. At the start of COVID, bed availability was really low. Many beds were put aside for potential COVID admissions. So the low acuity beds, particularly in rehab, were held available for the public health system. So I think you got discharge planners and surgeons more comfortable of discharging patients to home for rehab or not having rehab at all. That's just continued. It's now two years since uh, that started and we haven't reverted. There's also a change in customer preference starting during COVID where customers didn't want to go to a rehab facility for 14 days and risk being infected if another patient had COVID. So there's a combination all through the uh, referral chain from patients all the way through to surgeons, having changing preferences, a greater understanding and appreciation of the capacity and ability to do rehab in the home. And I think I may have mentioned in an earlier answer, a third of our customers that go through a total joint replacement now,
7: have a rehab at home. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like it should be pretty imminent in terms of your assessment of that. Um, just around ancillary then, um, if I could just ask for a similar observation on uh, versus, uh, I mean, similar to what you show on 517, are cash claims down on ancillary at all or how are they tracking versus pre-COVID levels?
2: Yeah, of the $267 million of savings we had this year, Permanent claim savings, 54 million of those were lower ancillary savings, were ancillary uh, related to the ancillary product. So slightly less than 25% of our total claim savings which is um, ancillary accounts for about 25% of our policies. And we're seeing a bit of a mix there, we're seeing dental uh, claims still being pretty strong and I think like most of the community I didn't go to the dentist for 12 months. Uh, but the areas we're watching most uh, most closely are specialities like and modalities like optical, where customers are choosing to have a new pair of glasses every two years, not every 12 or 18 months. And then natural therapies and physiotherapy are pretty soft as well. So I think you're going to get a stratification in ancillary and extras between dental and the majority of the other modalities. Um.
7: Sure. I I mean the, the difficulty is with those permanent savings of fifty four million that you flagged, I think there's you know the DCLs and other factors that influence that number. I was just wondering on a cash basis, where how is it tracking? Uh
2: that'd be around thirty million dollars, thirty to thirty five million dollars. There's about a twenty million dollar Medibank ancillary provision that was released uh at thirty one December.
7: Yep. Okay, thank thank you so much. Um just a Final question for me is um, just around um, uh, DAC, and I think you know with, with the new EFRIS standards, there there will be um, you won't be able to capitalize the DAC anymore, and a lot of your growth certainly have been coming through the AHM channel, I think through aggregators, etc. I was just wondering if you could comment on whether we might see change in your marketing strategy going forward, or whether that influences anything, um, whether we might see a change in the expenses that come out of the change in the accounting standards once once you switch over?
2: Yes, so if anything, uh, expensing rather than capitalising will be a slight tailwind for expenses because we're currently running off the DAC balance. Our strategy for some time has been to continue growth in the ag channel but moving more of our sales to the uh, direct channel. So I suspect it's going to be a second-order impact for us, but slightly positive going forward. What it does mean, though, is it opens up the marketing spend bucket more broadly and greater fungibility between above-the-line marketing or paying commissions because they now all get treated exactly the same way from an accounting
1: perspective. So just to add to that, uh, from a strategic perspective, as Mark said, we will continue to bias acquisition to direct channels You know, in the last half... 80% Uh, 80% of our joins were direct, um, which is up from about 70% of the previous year. Some of that will be uh, you know, due to changes in marketing spend, uh, but we—that's uh, a target that we have that's quite differentiated in market, so you know, that, that continues to be a focus. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Nigel Pittaway from City. Please go ahead.
4: Oh, good morning, guys. Um, just first of all, wanted to return to the uh, turnaround in policyholder growth in uh, this year. If, possible. I think you said um, acquisition in both brands had improved. Can you make any comment about what's happened to the lapse rates over the period?
1: Uh, well, I think we look at the first half, the acquisition rates, uh, particularly for Medibank, were pretty... I mean, they were down slightly year-on-year, year, but held pretty strong. Uh, and we've seen that, you know, continue... As I said before, our sales uh, conversion rates uh, have held pretty strong. Um, the sort of the business has rebounded pretty quickly. I think, given the uh, the, the impact of the cyber event um, and the associated impact on the Medibank name, um, you know that did impact the Medibank brand slightly more. Um, But as we resume retention activities, that's where our major focus are. I think the lead indicator I look at is switching intent by our members, and that's now back down to pre-Cyber levels. So their thought about leaving is about the same. Their reasons for leaving are now not due to cyber as much as they were, uh, and we expect to see uh, improvement uh, as we focus on those activities. Yeah, and so (laughs) Nigel, the Medibank lapse was impacted by 90 basis
2: points across the... uh, versus PCP and AHM was only down 60 basis points. So Medibank brand out in the media, bigger lapse impact. Medibank uh, retention program, more developed and more embedded than what it is in AHM, so turning it off also had a bigger impact. So we'd expect as we're turning those retention programs back on, similarly, it will be easy to have an impact on Medibank retention as a consequence.
4: Okay, so more particularly in the six weeks of this year, has there, has there been improvement in lapse rate or have you seen improvement in acquisition rate with lapse rate still remaining pretty similar?
2: Well, in both, but largely there's been a bigger impact on acquisition.
4: Yeah, okay. Um, and then just sort of turning to... You... Sorry, yeah? No, we're yeah. Right Okay, I was going to go on and sort of ask about sort of um in terms of your, I think you're saying that your fourth quarter growth rate you think should be similar to one Q, which does seem to indicate confidence that the worst of the cyber attack impact is behind you. Um so I was just wanting to hopefully explore that confidence a little bit and also sort of uh maybe just question, you know, that you're how confident you are that you're not gonna get sort of a Second wave, where individuals start sort of really trying to up the scamming activity versus customers. Can can you maybe comment on that? I realise it's probably sensitive, but.
1: Oh, look, Nigel. I think there's first and foremost the cybercrime event was a significant event uh, and impacted um, you know our customers, um, and that's the first thing uh, we should say. And you know our priority, and my priority for the business at that point was to understand what happened, uh, was to shut down the attack path, which we've now done, and safeguard and support our customers. You know, we re-diverted, uh, uh, you know, our resources to do that. We uh, greatly reduced our marketing spend, uh, and that contributed to, you know, policyholder loss. The main reason for leaving during that second quarter was due to the cyber event, which we, which we expected. I think... As we go now, since we've, we are resuming more normal business operations, we've re, we're re-diverting uh, our, our people back to more normal activities because uh, the uh, calls into our call centre around cyber are greatly reducing. Uh, we continue to support customers if they need us um, with our cyber recovery program. Um, but, you know, what we're seeing is customers now want us to support them with their health and wellbeing, Uh, We're having people now looking to join us. Uh, We're having, you know, retention rate uh, conversations more and more. And so, based on those early signs, you know, we're confident that uh, when we get to Q4, we will uh, be resuming, uh, you know, the similar growth momentum that we had, uh, you know, in Q1. Look, (laughs) the question of um, the go-forward, I think, you know, this is an arms race out there. in the world of cybercrime, uh, and the rules of the game uh, keep changing. Before the cyber event, we were successfully repelling around 200, 225 million cyber attacks on that perimeter each month. Now it's uh, almost three times that. Uh, and so, you know, we will continue to learn the lessons we've learned. We, we will continue to make sure that we do everything we can to strengthen our environment but we're going to remain vigilant, as every company needs to.
4: Okay. Okay, and then, um, so maybe maybe just finally, I mean, obviously you said you've done sort of 44 hospital negotiations. Um, I appreciate you've got some defensiveness in there because you've negotiated forward, but can you give us any sort of broad flavour as to sort of the level of inflationary pressures that are starting to come in? To those negotiations?
1: Uh, well, I think, as a uh, you know, what we say is we recognise that the COVID environment has been challenging um, and it's required all of us to rethink how we run our business. We've taken that $100 million out of our own cost base over the last five years. Um, we've had an ongoing dialogue with all our 450 hospital partners. Uh, we just don't turn up the day before the, the contract is ready and you know, provide our expectation of rate. Uh, so we have seen, you know, a move towards a more, more forward looking partnership agreements where we're creating mutual value for customers. We need to keep premium increases as low as they can be, but also recognising and supporting hospitals who are keen to create an environment of innovation, um, and sustainability. And that's what we've been focused on. And, and, and Nigel, from, on behalf
2: of our customers, there's a certain affordability we can pay for all claims inflation. And if you've got deflation in prosthesis and you've got rehab uh, rates that are lower than pre-pandemic, then of course the affordability uh, to pay for higher hospitalisation is improved. So it actually comes down to the, there's a certain affordability and if we don't have unnecessary prosthesis, cost increases and utilisation increases and rehab referral trends, uh, helpful, and of course, that opens up the opportunity to reassess what's affordable from an indexation perspective. And, and I guess that's the way we think about it. All
4: right, thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Dan Hurran from MST Mackie. Please go ahead.
4: Oh, good morning, and thanks so much for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to ask about IT costs uh, versus the one off cybercrime costs in FY23. So look, I know we're not talking about FY24 guidance at this stage, but is there a risk of a high reported IT spend uh, in, a, in this cyber crime arms race, as you call it, beyond the 40 to 45 one-off costs this year? Um, I, I guess I'm asking is do, you know, do we need to think about some of that non-recurring actually becoming recurring? And I guess, finally, is this considering the productivity savings?
1: Well, I think the first answer that, yeah, productivity for us isn't always on activity. Uh, and that's, but cyber security and IT security has actually been an area of investment over the last few years. In fact, we've, uh, probably doubled our spend in this space, uh, over the last three years before, um, you know, this year. So I think that's, that's certainly the priority for us and certainly the priority going forward. Yeah, and I don't want to look too far
2: ahead, but I'm not expecting at the half year or full year result next year that we're talking about cyber being, uh, additional ongoing cyber costs being a major p- factor of any increase or decrease in management expenses. I think you, we're more spending time thinking about our long-life IT assets that are almost fully depreciated and the impact that has on our costs. Uh, I think there was a question before about deferred acquisition costs and the impact of the new standard and also the overseas commissions this period being very, very high given the policyholder growth has been to has been at 34%. I'm thinking those three factors will be part of our narrative at the next conversation on costs rather than ongoing run costs for IT security. Yep, okay, thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Your next question comes from Doran Kerr from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead.
4: Sorry, nothing more from me, thank you.
0: Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. That does conclude our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.